isn't God good? Guys, his presence is with us this morning. And his spirit is with us this morning. And I, I don't know if you guys read social media, but I posted this week because God put it on my heart. It's bring your giant to church Sunday at Four Points Church. <laughs> we all have them. We all have giants. We all have that, that, that thing or that person or that situation that we just feel like that thing's going to kill me. I can't overcome that. I can't get past that. I'm ready to go to church and act like everything's fine. But I know there's a giant waiting for me when I get home. Not today. Not today. If you didn't come prepared to bring your giant with you, you need to go ahead and invite him to come here because we're going to knock him down. We're going to knock him down. We're going through a series here at Four Points, a serious series here at Four Points called Victorious. And we've been walking through the lives of different people in Scripture uh, who, who overcame and saw victory, but, but people in God's Word that have the exact same Holy Spirit as we have, the exact same God as we serve, and the exact same power that we have because we have the Spirit and because we're in Christ. And today we're going to pick up on the story of David, later to be King David. And we're going to be talking about victory through courage. Because how many of you know that power is enacted when we're courageous? We have to believe for it. We have to receive it. Fear is a lie. Fear is a lie. The enemy comes to you and me through circumstances Sometimes in our head, how many of you argue in your head all the time? That's me. I'm that guy who's who just arguing with myself. It's the enemy. And he builds up this great wall of fear that we feel like we can't overcome. Or he, he makes the appearance of this great giant that we feel like we could never conquer. But it's a lie because we have the power of God in us. We just have to receive it. We just have to have courage. I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to give you a little background to what we're about to read while you turn there. 1 Samuel 16. The Israelites have made it into the promised land. We talked about Moses and coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. And then we talked about Caleb, this old man, right? who fought battles in the land, but now Israel is in the land and they've settled in and everybody has their place and they begin to ask God for a king. They noticed when they were coming in that they were fighting against nations that had kings. And there's just something impressive about impressive people, right? So they want to have a king. They tell God they want to have a king and God argues back. He says, listen, guys, you've got me. You don't need a king. I'm your king. You just have to believe. God doesn't have to ride in physical form on a, on a horse into battle to fight for us, does he? And this is what he told the Israelites, but they still wouldn't have it. They still wanted to have a king. And God warned him. He said, look, if you have a king, he's just going to be a man. How many of you know our leaders are just men and women and human? Right? Gosh, it's more real now than it's ever been, isn't it? Right? 
But the Israelites didn't listen. So God gave them a king. He brought along this guy, Saul. And he looked like a king. He was tall, impressive, probably jacked. You know, someone they could look at and respect. But the problem with Saul was like any leader, as time kind of went on, the temptation to just to just kind of be greedy and the temptation to, to lust for power became too much for Saul. And he, he stopped obeying God and just started doing his own thing. And so God came to Samuel the prophet and he said, it's time to anoint another king. He's not going to be king just yet, but I want you to anoint him and get him ready. And so he sends Samuel to, to the family of Jesse. And Jesse is this guy, he's got eight sons. And he tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house and that he's going to show Samuel who the next king is going to be. And that's where our story picks up. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10 says this. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Remember how many sons I said he had? Eight. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, and he's tending the sheep. In other words, don't bother, <laughs> right? This is not the guy you want. If he was the guy you wanted, I would have lined him up first, right? Samuel said, send for him and we will not sit down until he arrives. How's that for pressure? I wonder how long they had to stand up. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So here's a little bit about what we know about David. What we learn about David is for up until this time and for a season in his life, David was the youngest and most unimportant of all his brothers. Right? You get an idea of what his dad thought of him when Samuel showed up and he didn't even invite him to the party. Right? He left David out in the field tending sheep, which is kind of a menial job. And we learn from other places that David was also a musician. So he would, he would sit around on a rock or a stump, wherever the sheep were, and he, would, he learned to play instruments and he would play music and he would actually write worship songs. He had the most menial job in his entire family. The youngest, the last chosen. And by the way, what we know now is probably many of the Psalms that David later wrote, the Psalms we read in our Bible, he probably wrote during this time period when he was just a shepherd out in the field. We know some of those Psalms that talk about the Lord is my shepherd, right? But here's what I want you to know from just this little bit in David's life. Even as a shepherd of his father's sheep, God saw David. He was just a shepherd of his father's sheep, playing music, watching sheep, protecting sheep. But before God ever told Samuel to go to Jesse's house, he had already seen David. He already knew who David was. He already knew who he wanted David to be. 
God saw David. God has also seen you. You may feel like, listen, God has no reason to notice me. I bet David probably felt the same way. But God saw David, just a little shepherd boy. And he sees you right where you are. Another thing I want us to see is David was not the kid picked first. How many of you played on a team when you were a kid where they had to like pick through the best people first? Team captain, right? Have you ever been the last one chosen to do something? Story of David's life. And when God told the prophet Samuel to go to David's father's house to anoint the next king, he wasn't looking for David. Even though God had seen him. When I read this, it made me think of this guy I knew in college. I didn't know him really well. But he was like, honestly, personally, he was one of the most awkward people you'd ever meet. (laughs) I wouldn't say he was socially unaware, because he'd talk to you. And he was very kind, but he was just this kind of guy that you just would not be impressed with. Very nice, kind of a tall, lanky dude, kind of quiet, very nice, not cool at all. But we, at Liberty at this time, we started putting these chapels together on some evenings, and students would preach. And I watched this guy get up and preach one, one, one evening, and guys, it was fire. It was fire. I sat in my seat and I was like, holy crap, I did not see that coming. It's like he got behind the pulpit and he transformed into a superhero. Shazam, right? Like he, he turned into something nobody thought he was. And guys, I would go to that chapel every time this kid preached because the spirit of the Lord was, was, was heavy on him. And guys, I remember going back to my dorm. I was a pretty new Christian. I'd only been a Christian for about a year. I was still understanding some stuff or learning some stuff. But I remember praying. I remember saying, God, I want to be like that. That's who I want to be. I want to be someone that when people look at me, they'd be like, what, really? That guy, God? I want to be somebody that people aren't impressed with. But they're impressed with the word of God through me. I don't want to be important. I want to be effective. I remember praying that on my knees, asking God for a gifting like that. But you know, it's better to be known for what God has done through you than for all the other stuff we could be known for. And no matter how menial you might feel like your life is, God sees you and me. And when he sees us, he sees our potential. He sees the potential of his work through us. And your potential, listen guys, your potential is greater than you think it is. You're capable of more than you believe you are. Because God made you for a great purpose. 
In Jesus' economy, listen, in Jesus' economy, there are no common people. Nobody's on the bottom shelf. No one is ordinary. Didn't Jesus, when he preached in Matthew chapter 5, talk about how his kingdom is turned upside down? And the last are first, and the first are last. God, I want to be someone who would be an absolute nobody without you. Only use me. Only use me. Guys, I pray that's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' economy, there's no common people. There's no bottom shelf. There's no ordinary person. Because we've all been given the grace, anointing, and power to accomplish greater things. We all have. Stuff like being his hands and feet to defend and to protect and to provide. There are people all around us who need that. Who need provision and protection and defending. Greater things like being his heart and voice to those who don't know him. Guys, we're surrounded by people who aren't looking for God. They're not going to hear his voice because they don't know what they're listening for. But you and I can show the love of God. You and I can proclaim the gospel. Guys, you and I can, can be used to transform lives. You and I can do powerful things like living a testimony in our marriage, in our parenting, in our leadership, in our advocacy for others, in our service to others. People can look at the stuff we do every day and see God in it. And that's a greater work. You know, this week I got a text message from someone. Just a short text message. And it just said, Pastor. I'm sure you're under a lot of pressure. It takes a lot to be a pastor. False, it's easy. No, I'm kidding. But I really believe in you, and I really appreciate you. Guys, it was like somebody put like high-octane gas in my tank, right? Or right when I came on staff, right when I came to be a part of your family here at Four Points, another friend of mine ran into me at Barnes & Noble, a place I never would have expected to see them. Just walked up to me with a prophetic word and said, the anointing of God is on you. God is going to bless you. God is going to bless your church. You see, we don't realize the power in just the little things we can do to build others up, to encourage others. It seems like a small thing, but in God's economy, it's a huge thing. And when God uses us to speak life into someone else, Guys, we're partakers in the great work that God does through them. It's incredible how God does so much in the little things. You have no idea what encouragement you can be to someone or what impact you might have. Listen, if you want to push someone forward, 
Catch them doing something right. You know, listen, we have to confront people. We have to speak truth to people. That's in the word of God. But I've seen more people's lives change because people believed in them. Right? Go up to your, catch your kids doing something right and tell them they did a great job. You want your husband to be a better husband? Catch him doing something right. Speak that word of encouragement. Speak life. You want someone to be a better employee? Catch him doing something right. You see, when we believe in people and we encourage people, people have a way of rising to that. Most people already feel discouraged. They need someone to speak life. And you and I accomplish greater things when we do it together in community. Whoever you are or whoever you think you are, God sees you this morning. So David was seen by God. David also believed in the power of God. So sometime later after David is anointed, we don't know exactly how much time. He's still a young dude. An army from the nation of Philistia comes and marches against Israel and they go out to battle to fight these guys. And this army has a secret weapon. <laughs> this giant named Goliath. Anybody heard this story? Oh, I love this story, man. This is so good. So good. Just act like you don't know it for now. <laughs> this giant named Goliath, and by the way, the ancient Egyptians also document giants in this region at this time. So it's not just a biblical story. Ancient history tells us there are some giant dudes hanging around this land. And Goliath was one of them. The Bible tells us that Goliath was six cubits and a span tall. So here's what a cubit is. A cubit on an average man is your elbow to the end of your middle finger. And a span is the distance on an average person from the end of their pinky to the end of your thumb. This is how they measured things in the ancient world. And so Goliath was six cubits and a span tall, which turns out to be about nine feet, nine inches tall. So I want you to take LeBron James and put three feet on him, okay? And we're talking about a warrior here. We're not talking about nine, almost 10 feet tall and lanky and weak. We're talking about one big son of a gun, all right? His helmet weighed 30 pounds. His armor weighed 125 pounds. The tip of his spear was 15 pounds, can you just imagine the Israelites after Goliath was dead? They just got a scale out there. They're weighing his stuff. That's how, that's how impressed they were. And the Bible tells us he had an armor bearer. What's an armor bearer? An armor bearer is another well-trained warrior. And his job was to stand in front of Goliath with a shield that covered all of Goliath and carry it in front of him. Why? So that you couldn't shoot arrows at this guy while he's walking up. You know, you couldn't pull any tricks. When it was time to fight. The armor bearer would, would, would fight first, and then he would fight, but there's this full-body shield. If you can imagine someone almost 10 feet tall walking towards you with a shield in front of him. This is Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8 says this. 
Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down here to me. In other words, look, if we're going to have a war, guys, we're going to win. But let me just give you a little chance here. Just send one guy to fight me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve him, okay? Or, and serve us. So here's what they're saying, guys. Zero percent chance. <laughs> You're going to send a guy out here to kill Goliath. He's just taunting them. He's just mocking them. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, it's the leader, guys. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I'll tell you what's not leadership, that. Okay? And this just didn't just happen once. The Bible tells us it went on for 40 days. 40 days. The Israelites would wake up, they would like all go down to the battlefield. They would all line up. Saul and the army would be there. Goliath would taunt them and they would do nothing for 40 days. Have you ever been crippled by fear? Where something in your life was so intimidating, you just didn't know how to take a step forward. Have you ever been there? Just frozen in time? I mean, how embarrassing is it to line up for 40 days and do nothing? But they were so afraid. They didn't know how to take the next step. When we're at a crossroads, when we, we, when we come to a crossroads like this, guys, we count the costs, we evaluate the risks, and sometimes we just can't move forward. Leaders always count the costs. Saul obviously did. But real leaders also take risks. Real leaders also take risks. At four points, guys, we're going to take risks. Not blind risks. Risks supported by wisdom and built on the foundation of faith and trust in God. But you have to step out. You have to take risks. You can't line up 40 times and do nothing when the enemy is staring you in the face. No, Siri. That's so funny. <laughs> and because when we're willing to step out and take risks, guys, we will see God do more than we can do. Listen, maybe you're afraid to share your faith. I think we are. Otherwise, we'd be packed out more than this, right? This church would be 10 times its size if we weren't afraid to share our faith with someone. Maybe you're afraid to do it. Maybe you're afraid to take that card that says, come sit with me at Four Points Church. Because why? Because you're afraid of being rejected, right? You're afraid you're going to invite someone. They're going to say, no. Right? Afraid. Or maybe you're afraid to pursue your dreams because you're afraid you're going to fail. Maybe God has planted a dream in your heart. But you're afraid you're going to fail at it so you don't even try. Or maybe you're afraid to obey God in something he's called you to do or called you to be. Maybe you're afraid to take the next step in giving sacrificially to your church. 
Because you're afraid that God won't keep his promise to bless you abundantly. Maybe you're afraid to join a community group. We have signups today, by the way, guys. Everyone needs to be in a community group. I'm in a community group. Right now I'm hanging out with college students. I love it, right? But be in a community group. But maybe today the signups are for community groups are out in the lobby. You're afraid to do that because you're afraid that if people really knew you, they wouldn't like you. Maybe you're afraid to volunteer or lead because you're afraid you're going to let people down. Maybe you're afraid to believe for the victory because you're afraid God's going to let you down. But when we obey God, guys, the rest is in God's hands. He only asks us to believe. He only asks us to have courage. The rest is in his hands. So the armies have been lining up for 40 days doing nothing. And David is sent by his dad on an errand. He's the lunch boy. His job is to take sack lunches to his three brothers who are fighting in the army. And so he goes down there with the three sack lunches for his brothers and to check on them, make sure they're still alive. And David happens to show up when Israel's army is doing their daily ritual of standing there and doing nothing. And so David starts talking to some of the soldiers like, what is going on here? What are you guys doing? Verse 22 says this. As he, David, was talking to them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. The mental image here is hilarious. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Oh, come on, Saul, you should have gone out. Come on, Saul. Be a leader. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, brothers, and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Come on, what battle, Eliab? (laughs) Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Courage. You think that was courage in David's abilities? In David's stature? I mean, can you imagine coming up to a battlefield where the entire army flees from one man? The king is hiding in his tent offering rewards. 
and to become so indignant that God is being mocked. It's to say, if nobody else is going to go, I will go. I will fight him. At first, Saul rejects David, but later he's inspired by his courage. Certainly Saul saw some leadership there. So Saul offers David his armor to wear, but eventually David decides to go out with just a shepherd's weapon, a sling. When I read this, guys, it reminded me of being in Sudan. I went to Sudan in 2009. It was about the time that um, there were atrocities happened in Darfur. We were in a village working on a medical clinic. You could see fires burning in the distance. Darfur was a 30-minute drive away. You know, when our plane landed, we were surrounded by Sudanese soldiers, uh, freedom fighters, the good guys. Some of them were middle school boys holding AK-47s with no shoes on. One of the first things I did when I got off the plane was put my finger under the barrel of an AK-47 and go, let's keep that in the air, buddy. Let's keep that in the air. And uh, I was afraid I was going to get shot on accident. But at our compound, we had a Sudanese bodyguard who was part of the SPLA, the Southern People's Liberation Army. And at our compound, he didn't have a gun, which was confused me. So I asked him, I said, why don't you have a gun? He says, I don't need a gun. Like, what do you mean? So he took me into his little room <laughs> and he had mango seeds and what they call finger spears, these little sticks, right? He said, come with me. So we went outside the gates <laughs> and a bunch of children gathered around. You know, here comes the white guy about to be made, <laughs> about to be made the fool, right? He takes this mango seed and he holds it right here in the curve of his hand. And he threw that thing from about here to the sound booth, the back of the sound booth, and it hit a tree and went like really loud. Like loud enough is like, dude, you might be able to kill someone with a mango seed. <laughs> he said, I've killed people with a mango seed. And then he took a stick and he put it in between his fingers like this and his, his pointing finger at the end. And he took it and he threw that at that tree Bam, like you could hear the stick hit the tree, and it wasn't even a straight stick. And then he went back to his little room there and pulled out the straight one that was sharpened at the end, and I said, I get it. I understand, <laughs> I understand right? So all David had was this, this sling. You know, it was basically a strap of leather with a pocket on the end, and you swung it around like this. But if somebody knew how to use one of these slings, guys, you could throw a stone 100, 150 miles an hour with this stone. And it was a shepherd's tool. A shepherd would use this to chase off wolves or to chase off animals. You know, I'm sure if it didn't kill him, it hit him hard enough to have an oh crap moment and run away, right? So David says, I don't need this armor. I'm just going to go out with this sling. I don't know if Saul wanted David to wear his armor so people would think it was him. Or if he was just being generous. But listen, when God calls you into battle, he's not asking you to be somebody else. He's not asking you to take somebody else's armor. He's not asking you to take somebody else's weapons. He's calling you to battle and he's prepared you to fight the battles that you are to fight. I went to the art conference. It's a, it's a church affiliation that we have here at Four Points. And I loved it. One of the pastors got up and he was talking to a bunch of church planters, a bunch of young guys about to plant churches. 
And he says, he said, listen, I'm looking at you and I can tell who your favorite preacher is by how you're dressed right now. He leaned forward and he says, I bet you if I looked you up on social media, your sermons would sound just like him too. He said, stop it. Cut it out. Be who God called you to be. Don't try to be someone else. Don't put on someone else's armor. Don't take up someone else's weapons. Be who God called you to be. Because God designed you specifically for what he's called you to do. Sometimes we shrink back from the battle because we don't think we have what it takes to win. This is a testimony David's given us. He didn't go with all this stuff. He knew he could win because God was on his side. I met with a guy this week who said, I just don't think I have what it takes to save my marriage. I just don't think I have what it takes to be there for my kids. And I said, yes, you do. Because God is inside of you. And I can see the strength in you. I can see it. You have what it takes. And lastly, God gave David the victory. Let's read it verse 40. Here's where it gets exciting, guys. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine, a.k.a. Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bare in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing in health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, I love this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle, we just sang it, the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. With a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him he took a hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. We don't tell our kids that, right? That's not PG. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. 
Guys, the courage. David wasn't offended by what Goliath said to him. David was offended because of what Goliath said about God. And David said, you want to know the power of God? And as Goliath approached him in all of his pomp and circumstance, David ran to meet him. Today is bring your giants to church day. And guys, we're going to bring some giants down. And right now, what you need to do, what I need to do, maybe is to pray, God, I believe. Give me that faith that this young man David had. That you can overcome the giants in my life. Give me faith. Give me courage. Maybe the courage you need today is to talk to someone about your giant. Some battles you weren't designed to fight alone. At Four Points Church, we're not here to judge you. We're here to fight with you. Only have the courage to be honest. Four Points Church is a place where you can bring your giants and we will bring them down. So here's the invitation. You might need to believe. You might need to talk to someone else. You know, guys, something God has shown me is sometimes in the weakest times in my life, I need somebody else's covering in my life. Let me explain what that means. Sometimes when I'm weak, I need to go to someone who's stronger in their faith than me for help. The last time I was in Haiti, you need to sign up for Haiti if you're not going yet. Guys, that church was under attack from spiritual forces. They were terrified and they were silenced. And when we were when I was preaching on Sunday morning, I felt the Holy Spirit come on me. And I said, devil, you think you have power over this village? Why don't you pick on someone your own size? You can't have this village. We're here, we're praying, we're standing, and we believe that God is going to take this village. Sometimes somebody else needs your faith. Sometimes somebody else needs you to come around them. Sometimes somebody else needs to be protected by you spiritually. As you wash them with prayer and cover them with prayer. It's part of what pastors do, guys. But you may need to be honest with someone. You may need to look at someone next to you and say, I need someone to help me. I need someone to stand with me with faith I don't have right now. Because it's okay to not have faith right now. That's why we're here together. There's no reason for us to draw back from the battle line in fear. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The same God that brought Goliath down through a shepherd boy is the same God that's working in your life and my life this morning. There is no giant God can't bring down. God can bring the giant of depression down. God can bring fear down. God can bring addictions down. God can bring haters down. Listen, God is your advocate. You only need to be sure that you're doing what God wants you to do. And your greatest weapon against people who are standing against you is just to give them to God. All right, God, that one's on you. I mean, I give that person to you. God can pull you out of that financial pit. Just be faithful and live out the principles God gives us in his word about how we should use our finances. God can give you victory over the battle in your mind. Listen, today maybe you just need the first step. You need to give your life to Jesus. Just do it. Just do it. Check that card in your seat and say you gave your life to Jesus or you want to talk about giving your life to Jesus. We will see it through. We will fight for you. Being in community changes things. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, I'll help you bring down your giant. Tell your other neighbor, I'll help you bring down your giant. Guys, join a community group. Trusting God and being faithful to put God first changes things. And prayer changes things because we're praying to an awesome God. So let's pray. Father, we're facing giants right now in our lives. But we trust you. You are greater. You are stronger. You are able. God, I pray this morning that you would give us at Four Points Church, you would give us the courage to believe. The courage to take the next step. The courage to run toward the battle line. And the courage to have victory in Jesus' name. We believe it in Jesus' name.